Full Court Fits is The Ringer's new weekly NBA video series hosted by Big Waz, a.k.a. Wozni Lambre. Each week, we take you around the world of NBA fashion and share can't-miss style choices from your favorite players and keep you up to date on the latest news and releases in sneaker culture. Waz also talks to experts like Damian Lillard's personal stylists to give you behind-the-scenes looks at how the NBA's biggest stars choose their outfits. New episodes drop every Friday, so make sure you're subscribed to The Ringer's YouTube channel at youtube.com slash The Ringer so you never miss an episode. Hey there, folks. Before we get started with today's show, we want to mention that this episode contains discussion about suicide. If you or someone you know is in crisis, call the National Suicide Prevention Lifeline at 1-800-273-8255. What's up, everybody? We're back. R2C2. Another week. Bonus episode. Man, a bonus episode. And I just realized I did something I've never done before. I counted down to you speaking. Usually I'll do that only if I'm <laughs> counting down to me speaking. How'd you like that? It Was it like having a producer in your ear telling you when to go on live TV? No, that's good. Mm. That works. Okay. All right. <laughs> oh, man. Yeah, it is a bonus episode. We're releasing this on a Tuesday morning. You guys know our episodes are normally released uh, on Thursdays, and we will have a Thursday episode this week as well. We're going to talk to Walker Bueller of the Dodgers, which should be outstanding. Um, but see, uh, today, I think our audience is going to hear one of the most powerful conversations they could hear with someone in sports when they hear us talk with Drew Robinson. Yeah, no doubt. And I think, um, you know, for me, like being a professional athlete and 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 obviously playing baseball and understanding his journey and knowing what he went through we've all had those thoughts and been there and and you know he was just one that acted on it you know but for him to be able to be here now and and tell his story and and be an advocate for mental health it's just so powerful it's, it's incredible man I mean it's plenty of times you know throughout this conversation where I I just I'm quiet because I'm I'm trying not to cry you know um just because I, I I've had those feelings I know those thoughts and um, you know, just felt sorry for him in the situation, you know, that he w- wasn't able to speak out and get help. So I want people to to, to listen to this to this uh, podcast. And like he says, you know, whether you're sitting on a desk job, you're a professional athlete, you know, striving to be whatever, um, you know, there's help out there for you if, if you reach out and ask. And his story is so powerful, man. It's crazy. I just can't wait for people to hear it. See, perfectly said, it's so powerful. And normally, because I'm sure some of you right now are wondering, well, what exactly is Drew Robinson's story? And normally at this point of the podcast, C and I would go into more detail outlining about the guest uh, and his or her story that you're about to hear. But in this case, we thought it would be best for Drew to be the one to tell that story. So um, enjoy this episode of R2C2. We talk with former major leaguer, now member of the San Francisco Giants front office, the recently retired Drew Robinson for an incredibly powerful story on his journey and on mental health in sports and in life. So here's Drew Robinson on R2C2. So I, I guess the first thing is I'm talking to a couple retired guys here. <laughs> I, I, Drew, I hope you get a little more time off in retired life than what I'm seeing with C. This guy's all over the country right now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, honestly, I've seen it too. And I, I don't even follow him or anything, I, but he's popping up everywhere. For friends, <laughs> mutual friends. And things like that. Okay, this guy is we're Mr. Worldwide. <laughs> Trust me, I'm not trying to be. I would much rather be at home playing golf and trying to figure out my, get my driver straightened out. that's right drew so far i know it's only you know it's only been a few weeks but how has retired life been thus far and your new role with the san francisco giants front office as a mental health advocate it's been good man it's been pretty low-key honestly Uh, i'm just getting some getting my feet wet with this this new role and getting settled back in my home back in vegas and then uh yeah, just trying to find my new routine of having some free time and being able to do what I can, do what I can, and then also trying to stay involved with with the Giants organization and in my new role. So, like I said, just it's all very new, and it definitely feels a little bit weird um, being back in Vegas at this time of the year. 
That's that's the biggest thing, like being retired is like the times of year when your body's just used to doing <laughs> something for so long, you know? Exactly. But when you catch when you find another routine and stuff that you love to do, you you won't even miss it. Like I, I like people ask me, you gonna go back and coach or do you miss it? Absolutely not. Like I like I miss <laughs> so much of like life. You know what I'm saying? Right. Like I'm I'm ready to just be done. Yeah, I'm looking forward to looking forward to getting really involved with my family and friends year round and just spend some time and uh just seeing the other the other side of things. You know, Drew, for um for our audience, they know this, but a lot of times, you know, when we have a guest on, we'll talk to the guest and we're going behind the curtain a little bit here, but then we'll do the intro and we'll do the outro afterwards, right? And I, and I imagine we do something like that for this episode as well. And normally in the intro, I would, you know, introduce, you know, the guest story, credentials and and whatnot. But your story is so powerful and so unique that I do think it would be best for us to first give you the chance to just tell your story. And I, I don't know, you know, our audience has varying degrees of knowledge coming into this conversation about your story, what you went through, um, and coming out the other side and where you are now. Um, but before, you know, we tell it or, you know, we give sort of the outline of it, I'd love to just let you have the chance first to set the table before we dive into, you know, deeper questions and, and the conversation. How much time you guys got? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. No, man. I mean, it's, it definitely is powerful and it's, uh, something I reflect on and talk about a lot because I've found that it empowers me and it, it gives me more healing every time I talk about it because my answers, reflections and things get deeper. So, um, definitely honored to do that. But, um, yeah, I, um, been playing baseball my whole life, uh, signed with the Rangers in 2010 and went through the minor league, uh, grind for seven years. Um, had a lot of ups and downs as most baseball players do spent two separate seasons hitting under 200 and was just completely lost from a mental standpoint and physical standpoint. Obviously those years, um, turned around a little bit, uh, found my way in the big leagues, making the, the, the roster of spring training in 2017. And that's when the, the roller coaster really started of having options and going up and down. And just a lot of times feeling, uh, feeling like what I was doing wasn't really worth it, not worth it, but, um, wasn't really cutting it. Um, I was trying super hard, obviously working at every, at, every uh, aspect of baseball to try to be the best. And when I wasn't seeing the results, I really started questioning things. And then um, I've always just kind of been an emotional person, um, wearing my heart on my sleep type of guy, um, even going back to childhood. And I, I just wasn't very good at handling failure. And when things didn't go right, I would just, I would just break down. And a lot of times I, I thought that was a sign of weakness. Um, and so because I thought it was a weakness, I try to tough things out and I just try to act like things didn't bother me. I try to act like I had everything all figured out. And a lot of times didn't feel that way inside. So I was always kind of, uh, torn, uh, from the inside and outside, um, from what I was portraying to, to my friends and family and people around me, um, and what was going on inside. So it created a lot of, uh, inner turmoil, unfortunately. And because I wasn't, um, so open to like addressing my mental health, um, things got really ugly and just kind of like the perfect storm of a lot of things of going up and down, like I said, in baseball and not feeling like I was good enough, um, which led to not feeling like a good enough person outside of baseball. Um, I really just started questioning things and things over the years, just, they got a little bit worse. And then, like I said, the perfect storm of being up and down for three years in the big leagues and going to spring training in 2020, 20, um, after being released because of an injury the prior, the year prior, um, I, I don't know. I just, I saw the end in sight and it just completely scared me. I was just, all I knew was baseball and I could see the end coming. Um, just because I knew that just being around baseball, I, I, I knew the, the trajectory of most guys, um, careers at this point, if they didn't make the, they make that adjustment, then I could definitely be out of baseball anytime now. So going into spring training, having that fear, um, not, not being on the 40 man roster for the first time in a couple of years, um, having that luxury of, of opportunity and then going through camp for a little bit. And then the pandemic hitting, um, which was like the turning point for myself and a lot of people's lives. It just, it was very tough for me, um, going home, being forced to slow down when all I know is just go, go, go. Um, even the off season, I was just I was a maniac uh, with work and it was all physical work. Unfortunately, I just 
one of the quotes that I've come across after this that I feel like I was living subconsciously from Kevin Love was, you can't achieve your way out of depression. And I think that's what I was trying to do. I was just nonstop physical work and thinking that if I just toughed it out, things would change one day. Um, and again, I was just completely neglecting my mental health. So the pandemic hit, I go back home to Las Vegas. Um, but before I left for spring training, I had called off my called off a wedding to my fiance and just another sign of how lost I was because she's the best thing that's ever happened to me. Um, but I just, again, I didn't know what I was doing, try to act like I had things under control. So coming back from the, uh, from spring training because of the pandemic and walking into my house that I had recently bought uh, a couple of years prior and just, I, I'll never forget the feeling of silence. Um, when I walked into the house, I didn't hear our dog's footsteps when they're running towards me. Um, when I opened the door, um, she wasn't there, obviously. Um, it was just, it was dark. I got home at like 10 o'clock at night. So it was like pitch black. And I just remember that feeling of loneliness, um, just like hitting me in the stomach as hard as it could. And I just realized like, this isn't going to be fun. This is going to be very challenging. And then going through the first month of the pandemic at that time, it was so serious, obviously. Um, and I didn't want, at that time, we also didn't have a baseball player test positive yet. So I didn't want to be the first person to get baseball shut down for like for real. So I was taking quarantine very seriously. I wasn't even allowing friends and family coming over. Um, I was totally isolated. I, I had tried a couple of times to help myself out. And I, I got a foster dog at one point to try to comfort myself. Um, that didn't work out. And just over that month, I just really questioned things. And again, I was just sitting with myself. And because I had no fallback with mental health, um, I was just sitting with my negative thoughts and pessimistic mindset every single day. And I turned to drinking a lot and tried my best to stay active because I, I fortunately I have a, a home gym, but I was dealing with a little bit of soreness and injury, so I couldn't do much. And so, like I said, it was just a really bad combination of things, which as we're finding out, a lot of people have, have gone through very similar combina bad combinations throughout this pandemic. And again, um, just wasn't, just wasn't able to, to live with myself. And I thought I had gotten to the point where I thought um, ending my life was a better option. And on April 16th of 2020, I attempted suicide by shooting myself. And the next 20 hours of survival throughout my house was the most confusing, but most powerful times. Um, because I just, I was expecting what I had saw in the movies and I was expecting the end to happen every second for those 20 hours, every second, I was like, all right, this is it. This is it. This is it. And when it didn't happen, I was just so confused. And I was just wondering why, why it's not happening. Um, and then having a couple of separate times, this is me looking back, but a couple of times with those 20 hours of realizing I'm still alive. Like, is this, is there, is there something more to this? And then the first time I looked at myself in the, in the mirror, um, I had the first thought towards the future of playing baseball. And that's where that's where the, the story turned. And that's where I started thinking about maybe calling for help and getting, and I don't know, seeing if someone can help save my life. And luckily that's what happened. And it's been the most insane 15 months since. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it, it, it's amazing, Drew. I, I mean, it's hard not to get emotional hearing yeah. you talk about it. And we're obviously, we're so grateful you're here. Um, Absolutely. And, and I think it's, it's just, it's it's so amazing that you are so open and and I love that you know you said before it's cathartic for you to 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 talk about it and um you know obviously there's a million different avenues we want to go but see when Drew said that right at the beginning that each time he talks about it he heals more and more it reminded me of the way you have spoken about your alcoholism and mental health in the past yeah, no doubt. I mean, any chance, anytime you get a chance to tell your story, you know, it may help somebody, but it helps you heal because you understand where you were and, and, you know, the state of mind that you were in and where you are now helps you be present of where you are now and mindful of where you were. Um, but just understanding and, and, and how hard of a grind the minor leagues is and how hard baseball is to play and dealing with that mental, you know, every day. I mean, it, it was plenty of times when I was, you know, I didn't want to drive across the bridge to go pitch in the Bronx. You know what I'm saying? Like baseball or, or professional sports at a sports at a professional level is so hard and it's so mentally taxing. And I think it's 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 uh, it's great that we can have these conversations now. I mean, 
obviously it's unfortunate that that Drew that you went through what you went through, but to be able to sit here now and and be an advocate for mental health and Kevin Love and and now with uh, Simone Biles what she's going through and 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 speaking out, I mean it just helps you know other athletes understand that this is hard, man. When you see it on TV and you know you achieving all these things, they don't understand how hard and how mentally taxing this is to be able to perform and 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 have people expect you to perform on this level every time you go out. Yeah, man, it's tough. Um, and that's one of the things I'm learning throughout this is is how many people have um, similar, not as deep, like as darker thoughts, but just have a lot of self self doubt and self question because it is. It's just like putting yourself out there every day is is something that you didn't realize you signed up for, and when it when it's happening to you over and over, you're just kind of like, dang, this is very taxing and this is very very tough. But I think that's something that to an extent anyone can feel because I don't think the necessary environment is as important as the emotional well-being and that's something that I'm learning too is like what goes on inside my body goes on inside of a person that has a desk job they just they have different triggers and different um stimuli that like make them feel that way so I just think it's really important because anyone can feel this way and and a lot of people do unfortunately but the the the, the thing I'm learning is talking about it is is so important and it just gives you that power over it and it also like helps you feel helps you realize what you're thinking ne- isn't necessarily true all the time. When you, th- when you're, when you're thinking about it in your head, you're spiraling, everything feels so justified. But once you say it out loud, you might realize like, okay, I'm, that doesn't, that's not really what's happening. And be- from there is when you can start taking the steps to start to switch your perspective and have, get into more positive mindset. Man, I think that he said something that was huge is like just talking about it, being able to, being able that it takes a lot of courage to be able to to speak up and say that you have a problem, you know, whether it's mental health or drinking or whatever. But once you speak up, there are so many different avenues and ways and people that are that may think similar, may think dark thoughts like you think, may think have similar problems, may, you know, be able to help you and you may be able to connect with somebody that, you know, can push you out of this dark place by just speaking out and being honest. And and I mean, I have a 17-year-old and Last week, he was going through it. He was at a baseball, um, you know, kind of showcase thing and wasn't playing well. And he hit me up and he was like, Dad, you know, I came here and I wanted to show everybody that I'm the best and blah, blah, blah. And, it's, and he's he's had these big goals. And I'm like, you just got to you gotta take one thing at a time. Like, go out and, and find a barrel. Have one good at bat. Like, small little things at a time to be able to achieve these big goals. But if he don't speak up, then I can't, you know, have that conversation with him. And then now... He's just, it's, it's, it's in, inside of him boiling and boiling and then, you know, all of a sudden and something happens. So, you know, by him being able to speak up and have that open line of communication, I can help him through these situations and different things by just him talking. Honestly, that's just really cool that he has that wherewithal at that age to do that because I didn't. Like I said, I was, so, I was so deep into the stigma of talking about feelings and the emotions was a weakness that I just... I didn't want to put that inconvenience on anyone. I didn't want anyone to think that I had any sign of weakness. Like I just wanted to tough it out and be like, no, I got it all under control. Um, I'll, I'll take care of it. Don't worry about me. Um, but as I'm learning, leaning on someone, leaning on support systems is like the most powerful and strongest thing I've ever done. And that's something that I do almost maybe too much now because now I'm like so <laughs> open. I'm just like, Hey, what's up everybody. This is what I'm feeling. This is what I'm doing. It might be a little over the top, but um, I think finding that balance of the necessary times to do it is key because there's definitely times where you might need to um, tough it out a little bit, but having that balance, finding that sweet spot in the times where it's like, okay, this is something that needs to be addressed rather than pushing through this and sweeping under the rug. And then eventually a big blow up happens. I think it's just so cool that because I, as I've been talking about this and being more open and being in the public with this, I've gotten to experience a lot of people's qualities and hearing that a 17 year old is strong enough to like share like, Oh, I'm, I'm struggling right now. I'm grinding. Like, that's so cool because like I said, I was no, I was nowhere near that. And, um, I just think that's a big step. I think that's a sign that, um, everyone that's talking about these things are helping other people. And that's another thing too, is like, I think some people get misconstrued that people that talk about mental health, that's all they want to talk about. And it's always, it's only, my emotions and how sad I am, how depressed I am. It's like, it's just, it's just a part of your every like day to day, like every once in a while it's time to address it. But there's 23 other hours during the day where 
I feel a lot better. Um, and so it's like <laughs> yeah. these mental, the mental health advocates, it's not, it's not the hundred percent of their time where they're talking about their emotions and, and how depressed they are. It's just like taking the time out of the day to assess what's going on within them. And then if they have, if they feel like talking about things is going to help them have a better mood and a better day, why not try it? Can I, can I ask a question about the, when you were sitting there after you attempted the suicide, like, was it hard to call for help? Like, did it take you a long time to like call to reach out for help because you had been, hadn't spoken out, for, you know, about that before? It was, um, for a couple of reasons. I mean, for one, like I said, I was just expecting the end to happen any second throughout the 20 hours. Cause I didn't, I did it around 8 PM on April 16th and I didn't call 911 until around four the next day. So I was, I was in my house for 20 hours waiting for it to happen. Um, it wasn't until around noon the next day is when I saw myself in the mirror and, and had that first thought of baseball towards the future. And that's when I started like contemplating, should I, should I maybe try again or should I call 911? Like, what do I do here? And so it, it took me about three, three and a half, four hours to decide to call 911. Um, mainly because I, I had made my mind up and I had already done it. So I was like, I'm, I'm just too far gone now. Like this is, this is what I committed to. Um, but then the other side of me was like, well, I'm still here. Like, there's no reason why I should still be here. So maybe that's a sign that I need to try to help myself because scientifically and anatomically, I shouldn't have made it through what I've made it through, like from a physical standpoint. So, um, I didn't really think of it in that sense in the moment. I wasn't thinking like, this is, this is a sign. I just was like, I'm still here. Let's, I'm really uncomfortable. I'm in a lot of pain. Um, I don't want to just keep, keep sitting here and suffering from a, from a physical standpoint. So let me call for help. And then once I got the help and got to the hospital and realized I was going to be okay, it was like the most powerful thing I've realized I've ever done is that I took the moment to choose life. And, um, that's something that, um, I don't take lightly. And that's something that I reflect on a lot because I put, even though I put myself in that situation, not a lot of people are able to take the moment to, to choose to live. Mm, it's true, man. It's a, it's a miracle and uh, you're meant to be here. There's no doubt about that. And you're going to help so many people. You already are, Drew. I, I, I'm wondering, you know, you had that thought of, of baseball and you had that thought of, of choosing life and that's how you got the help. When you then you know, come to in the hospital. And I don't know if you're, you know, uh, in and out of consciousness. I know Jeff Passon detailed as some, a, a really beautiful long article he did detailing your, your story. Um, but what were, what are kind of the first thoughts that you remember having once you came to in the hospital and had been attended to? Yeah, that's one of the craziest things about this is that I pretty immediately, I had a perspective shift and I have no idea why, but it could have very easily gone the other way, which is the case for most of the times, like someone who's attempting suicide, they don't want to be here. So when they're still here, they get another layer of depression because they're, they failed. Um, so the fact that I had the exact opposite happen to me and came out of it, my first surgery, I just remember like the physical feeling of love and appreciation. I was like, I cannot believe I'm still here. I, I held back from telling people how much I loved them and cared about them before. That's the last thing I want to do now. Like, I just want to get on the phone and call everyone I've ever, that's ever helped me, that's ever been in my life. I just want to let them know that I think about them, that I care about them, that I appreciate everything they've done for me. And that's what I did. I I was calling my family, obviously. I was calling friends. I was calling old coaches in the minor leagues. I was calling anyone that, like, had been taking part in my life. I was, like, trying to take the time to, to call and let them know how much I cared about them. Um, because that's something that, that I struggled with, too, is, like, I thought about people all the time. I, I just always thought that I was being selfish because I never let them know what, how much I cared about them. Cause I always just held things in. Cause again, I thought talking about those things was, was, was weak for some reason. Um, so coming out of it and having that perspective change of like, I just want to, I just appreciate that I'm still here. Um, and I'm, I'm just grateful for my, the support system that I have. And then also having understanding pretty quickly. I remember it was like maybe the first night or maybe the next day after my coming out of my first surgery, I talked about with my family. I was like, maybe there's a way that we can use this in a positive way to help others because I'm sure there's a lot of other people that feel this way. Um, I was like, if I, if I was feeling that way, living a pretty successful life, there's gotta be people that are feeling that way in, in normal, normal day-to-day life. So maybe there's a way we can use this in a positive. So like I said, I, I don't know why, but it's something that I'm so grateful for that I was able to kind of focus on the good for the first time in my life instead of being so pessimistic and, and, tr- and kind of run with it. Um, 
I definitely still go back to that, those places every once in a while and go through a couple of weeks at a time where I'm just like the most pessimistic person in the world. But the other times, um, I'm so grateful to have a perspective change and, and kind of like realize that there's a chance to help other people with the story. And I think that because it happens so immediately, it's just another sign of the story that is, is just so powerful. When you go through those pessimistic times now, Drew, how do you get yourself out of them? And, and how much different is it than what you experienced prior to April of 2020? Yeah, it's interesting because now, now that I've been through a couple of them, um, I realized that it might not ever go away completely. And I, and I kind of accepted that and I'm better equipped now. And I, I'm able to reach, ask for help a little bit easier. Um, but the, I remember the first time it happened after my incident, I, I basically was like just sitting at home recovering physically and working on things mentally. And I, I was on cloud nine because I had that huge perspective change. And I just subconsciously thought that I had it all figured out again. And I was like, I'm never going to have a bad day again, because how could I, after surviving and and being so grateful for being alive. Um, but that first, that first like depression phase that hit me, um, it was definitely scary. I, was, I went back to the same thoughts and wanting to not be here and having some passive suicidal thoughts. Um, and that one took a little bit longer. Um, but I do remember the, in that, in that moment or in that phase, I, I told Diana, I reached out to her and I was like, Hey, I think I'm, I think I'm depressed again. And in the moment, it didn't feel like that big of a deal, but looking back, that was a huge step in my recovery because I voiced it again before my incident. I would never have said that out loud, but I remember I took the time to say it out loud to her and let her know um, I'm really struggling right now. And that was, I don't know why it happens, but as soon as you say things out loud, you start to like go down, you start to like, I don't know. It's like, if you basically start to improve. And it seemed like once I told her that I think I'm depressed, I was kind of like, part of me felt guilty. It felt because I, I know a lot of people worry about me. I just did something so extreme that I started feeling guilty that maybe people in the around me that are going to start worrying about me again. Um, I felt embarrassed because how could I like, how can I feel depressed after surviving such a, um, like such a powerful thing. Um, but like I said, after, after I got out of it, looking back, I realized that that first step of just uh, voicing it and telling someone um, I'm really struggling for some reason, it flips the script and you start to like, go down the, the opposite side of things and realize that's a really strong thing that you can do instead of thinking it's a weakness. And so that was the first one. But like, like I said, I've gone through a couple of different of those phases now. And I feel like each time it's getting, I feel like I get back to a more positive perspective in a shorter amount of time. So I think it's, it's just something that like, it hits me every once in a while. And I just, again, I just get this huge layer of depression and pessimism, but getting back to a, a like a more gratitude filled mindset, uh, it happens a lot quicker. And so I think that's, that's a sign that the work that I, and things I've been preaching are working for me because, um, I don't know, like I, at times I feel like I, when I talk about these things to the public and try to help other people, it comes off like I got it all figured out, but, um, that's definitely the case. I'm still learning. And I've, I went through 28 years of my life of having that mindset. It's not just going to flip overnight where nothing's ever going to bother me again. So I've been voicing it as I was a, I don't know, 28 year negative, uh, veteran. And now I'm like a 15 month positive, uh, rookie. So I'm, I'm still trying to learn as I go, but, uh, it's definitely something that happens a little bit easier, um, here and there. But I, I think that's so important for people to hear drew. And I'm glad you just made that delineation there at the end, because I do think that, you know, with so many things in, in life, even things that are, you know, more benign than the, the deep topic we're talking about, people always think like there's this aha moment where, you know, a a everything changes after this. It'll be, you know, it's the, it's chasing the destination instead of, you know, enjoying the journey type of mentality. And for you to say like, yeah, you had this perspective shift and you had this obviously monumental day and incident. And yet, yeah, sometimes you're still going to go back to some of those dark thoughts, but you, but you now have some of the, you know, tools necessary to deal with them. I think that's got to be such an uplifting thought for anybody who's dealing with mental health struggle right now. And, and so many people do in so many different ways because it's like, okay, you know, don't feel like all that progress was lost when you do slip back. That's part of it. It's not a linear journey. Like it, you're supposed to have some some peaks and valleys and 
And, and so I, I really like that, you know, you are open about that part of it too, that it, it's not just Eureka. It's, it's a journey that you constantly are working on. I, that's funny. I actually just wrote that today. My, my book quote, a bad day doesn't mean your process is reversed. It doesn't erase your progress. It's just a bad day. So oh, I love it's that. pretty crazy how that happened, but yeah, yeah, I think that's important because everyone gets caught up in that, like the destination happiness where when I get there, I'll be happier. When I get there, things will get easier. When I get there, it's like, but when you get to those places, almost every single time you look back and you appreciate the, the like the, the route journey. you took to get there, yeah. like you, you appreciate the journey so much because it made it worth it. So when I think about when I got through those two really bad seasons in, in minor leagues, a couple of years later, I remember looking back at those seasons way more than I looked back at the, the seasons that I raked because those ones taught me way more than the seasons that I was doing well. And I just, I was forced to grow up from a, like a maturity standpoint. So, um, those are the, that's like one of those examples that once you get to a point that you've been chasing, you're also going to look back on the journey that got you there and, and almost appreciate all those bad times that you thought you needed to get out of immediately. So although the discomfort is something you don't want to be dealing with once you get out of it. And once you get to your happiness place, uh, you'll look back and realize, dang, those, those things, that journey taught me a lot more and all the things that I needed to, rather than trying to get, trying to ignore them and, and just act like they didn't happen. What was the most, uh, difficult conversation or either difficult or, or memorable conversation you had drew when you started i mean you talked about how you wanted um to you know call everybody in your life right immediately after and start telling them the things you haven't told them you know from those conversations and i'm sure there was a lot of impactful ones but is there is there one that stands out as being the most difficult or 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 is there one that stands out as being the most memorable yeah i think the one that comes to mind first is the one I had with my dad. Um, so one of the things that we did as a family, um, it was really difficult, but, um, I let them read the suicide note that I had left behind. And part of it, I really like part of it. I would, I like laid it all out there, how much I cared about my dad. And he's just been my rock my whole life. And again, he's one of the persons that I never really, I just never let him know, um, before my incident. So in that note, I just let it all out and let him know how much I loved him. And so sitting there with him, watching him read it, watching him lose it. Um, that was definitely the one that sticks out the most because like I said, he's my guy. He, <laughs> he's done everything for me and he's always been there for me. And even when I was like young and trying to like be the tough guy and act like I didn't need, need him, he was always still there. Um, so watching him read the note and finally let him know in the weirdest way, I guess if you think about it, it was reading a suicide note um, was the way that I told him how much I care about him. But we just had that really powerful experience. And afterwards we obviously embraced. And, um, that was just one of those really powerful moments throughout this whole process. And I've had a lot of them since, but, um, that, that moment was definitely one of the, the more emotional ones throughout this whole thing. See, I'm wondering for you, you know, in the aftermath, cause you are six years sober now. Since I, will, I will be in October. You, in yeah. October. Yeah. I'm wondering in the aftermath of that, what for you have been the most important resources or, you know, tools you go to um, in the aftermath that maybe, maybe you weren't aware of before rehab, maybe the climate, the culture was different, you know, earlier and now there's more awareness of it. What's been the key kind of for you that you feel like, okay, this is some of the things that have helped me now? Uh, I think definitely my family. I mean, I'm just sitting here like trying to fight back tears this whole time. Yeah. Like, I mean, that's, I'm, I want to ask a million questions, but at the same time, I don't want to start crying. So that's why I'm not, <laughs> I'm not as engaged. I don't want you guys to think that like this is just fascinating to me because a lot of the, the thoughts and stuff that you, you know, and that you went through, I think we all go through like as as players, as athletes, like. It's just, it's just incredible, your story. But um, I think my family and just me being able to be open and, and talk to, you know, my wife, my mom, and really my kids too. Me and my, my son have conversations about, you know, um, you know what I went through. And, and he start, he's getting older now. He'll be 18 next month. So um, he asks a lot of questions and, you know, he's reading a book. And, um, but he, not until we had that conversation a couple of days ago did he pick up the book. So, you know, uh, us being able to have those, those, that dialogue and those conversations, it just keeps me mindful and keeps me present and, and makes me want 
to stay sober and and keep my mental health in the right place that I can be, you know, the rock for my son and be there, you know, throughout his life. Because you never know what's going to happen when he gets into his late 20s and 30s and all of that. But I want to be here and be around and, um, you know, be able to aid him. So that takes for me to to make sure that I'm doing the right things in my life to be here around, you know, and, and that's taking care of my mental health and making sure that, you know, I'm sober every day. Yeah, I, it, <laughs> it is. It's 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 beautifully said. And see, I'm right there with you. It, I I can definitely say um, I have never uh, felt the urge to cry as much as I, nah, I have no, today on R2C2. <laughs> <laughs> and it's beautiful. And it's beautiful. You know, it, it, it's exactly. I mean, it's it's exactly what we're talking about, right? It's about being comfortable with emotion and 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 not being afraid to express it. And there is this stigma you know, especially with men for years and years and years about hiding emotion, right? And toughening through it. And and what I love is because of, see, the honesty you've shown, whether it's your documentary, your book, this podcast, Drew, what you've continued to do, taking your story public, being with your, us here today, you know, it, it, it continues to create a forum for people to be comfortable accessing those emotions and being honest about them and understanding that's okay, which is so great. I'm wondering along those lines, Drew, obviously with respect to the privacy of whoever you've talked to, what have been some of the more interesting interactions you've had with people um, in the aftermath of your incident as you've addressed mental health with them? Yeah. I mean, that's been something that's been really interesting to me because just the fact that I was, that I went so, I've been so open with this, like in a, in a public sense, a lot of people feel comfortable talking about things. And I've gotten to know the people around me more in the last 15 months than I did the 20 years prior. My family and I, we know each other so much better than we did before, before my incident. And we were kind of, we, we had a little bit of a broken family before we, um, parents were divorced and we always just kind of swept things on the rug. So we were just kind of very superficial like surface level conversation type of group but this really forced us to get to know each other and it's really cool because i mean they're my family <laughs> so it's, weird <laughs> to say, it's weird to say that but um just getting to know people and what makes them tick and like makes it or what makes them click and make makes them act the way they do um good and bad um once you kind of like have those conversations you start to build this level of like empathy and understanding for the people around you and you start to understand why things are happening the way they are. And for me, that, that only helped me like address things that are going on inside me. And I, I like just have so much more awareness of why I'm feeling a certain way or why that silly trigger caused me to freak out or be so negative. Um, and I, I just think that that is helping that's happening to the people that I'm talking to as well. I, I've had, um, throughout this comeback, uh, well, the comeback, it's over now, but when I was playing, <laughs> a lot of players reached out to me and opened up and and shared with me that they had never um, done that before and never talked about that, especially with someone they don't know as well. So just kind of like opening the door to let people feel comfortable to talk about things. And like I said, it's not an everyday, every minute type thing. It's just like taking a couple minutes out of the day or a couple minutes out of the week to just talk about things. And like I said, I've gotten to know I got to know some of my teammates this year, even though we only played together for like three or four months. I know some of those guys more than I knew some of my teammates that I played for five or six years in the, in the other organizations because I was also so closed off. So just opening that door and getting that communication happening, um, it just helps everybody. And it just, like I said, it's a very healing thing. And it's, it's a very freeing thing because when you talk about things, you reflect on the past, but you're also being so present because you're talking about how you're feeling right now. And when you're present in the moment, you get, you just have such a level of peace that um, a lot of times I'm searching for. So, I, and I feel like that's something a lot of people can relate to. I know that there's going to be people listening who don't know that you played this year. And I guarantee, you they're, <laughs> they're, I guarantee that they're saying, yes, right now is the Yes, I was one of those people, right? <laughs> yeah, yes. And they're, and they're going to be like, wait, huh, what? what? Drew, Drew, <laughs> Drew played this year. And and, and and Drew, I'm just wondering if you can take us through how you got in position to play in the minor leagues this season, because you are retired now. You're a member of the San Francisco Giants front office, but you played in the minors this season. You hit that first home run was, I think, very Incredible. emotional for all of us to yeah. watch. <laughs> you, you ended up hitting three home runs this season. I, I mean, it's, it's incredible. So, I, I mean... 
if you could if you could just take us through the injuries you sustained in the aftermath of your incident and then how you got yourself back in position to play competitive minor league baseball this season. Yeah, man, it's it's so crazy to think about um the way it all turned out and and played out because I lost an eye. <laughs> yeah, <right. laughs> so, um <laughs> I had, I eventually, uh, at the end I had, uh, four surgeries, like four serious surgeries. I had obviously a lot of damage to my face and sinuses and, um, my right eye was, uh, damaged, uh, beyond repair. So I, I had that, my right eye removed in June of 2020. And then I was just recovering. That was my last surgery that I had. Um, so from, um, like early May, I think I got home from the hospital I was in the hospital for 14 days and I had to go to a psychiatric hospital for five days afterwards. Um, I think I got home like May 5th or something. So from basically from May up until my, my surgery, I was just at home recovering. I lost a ton of weight. Um, wasn't eating much. And like I said, just letting my face heal. And I think it was around July 20th is when I was cleared to like do activity, which when I say activity, it was like walk around and like, pick like bend at the waist and pick things up more than 10 pounds. And of course, the first thing I do, I go to the cages and, um, I went there to say goodbye to baseball. That's the craziest thing about this is like, I was just, I wanted to go have like an intimate moment with baseball again. I wanted to hit a couple balls off the tee. Didn't think I was going to be able to track any because I, I lost an eye. Um, so I took a couple swings off the tee and I was like, dang, like my body is stiff as hell, but like visually, um, that felt all right. And so I had, the, <laughs> I, had the, I had the guys go, I had the guys that were there with me. I had them go back and flip me a couple underhands. And again, I was making contact and like my swing felt very similar. And I'm like, my, like, again, physically, I was totally not ready for it. But, um, from the visual standpoint, I was like, dang, that was, that was interesting. Like, I thought I was going to be able, I thought I was going to be swinging and missing. I thought I was going to be clinking the tee with the bat. Like I thought it was going to be horrible. So I went home. I was like, dang, maybe I should who knows? Like, let me, let me go back tomorrow. And so I went back the next day and had my guys throw overhand PP. And again, I was like making contact swing. I was like, even started like try to make swing adjustments on day two, <laughs> like thinking that I wasn't going to even be playing, but I was like, maybe I need to get my hands like this. And then I thought, like, what are you doing? Like, just hit the ball. Just enjoy, just enjoy baseball again. And then like, I had a whole session and I like sat back and I was like, looked around at the guys. I was like, am I crazy for thinking that I could do this? Like, should I come back? Should I keep coming back? And from that day, I went back the next day, then the day after. And, and I just like, like out of nowhere, like unplanned, just fully committed to baseball again. And I just kept on going through the motions and like, just waiting until I reached my limit. Like, uh, first time I, um, fielded a ground or first time I played catch with someone, it was really uncomfortable. So I was like, Oh, that's probably the end. And then that got, that got comfortable. First time I took ground balls, it was uncomfortable. So every time I did something, I was like having to kind of relearn baseball, but I just kept showing up. And before I know, I got to a point where I was like, kind of confident where I was like, I think I could do this. Um, and this whole time, the giants, the organization I was previously with, or that was with in spring training, they had been like amazing to me with support and just offering like emotional support, offering the resources to help me out. And I, so I was in regular contact with them. And I think it was around like September or so. I like voiced them. I was like, guys, I think I, I think I can play. Like, I play play <laughs> um, I've been doing all this thing. I was sending videos of what I was doing. And like I said, things look normal from a physical standpoint. So, uh, first time I went outdoors, um, it was a little different. It was really difficult because of the, the backdrop was much bigger. So depth perception came into play more, but like I said, I just kind of kept on showing up and things got a little bit more comfortable. And then like November before I even faced the pitcher, the giants were like, we're going to take a chance on you. And they offered me a contract to come back to minor league spring training. And like, as you can understand, I was like over the moon. I was like, That's awesome. I was up. I, I, I literally couldn't put sentences together. I remember I was on the phone with cap and I was like, I, I stopped myself to apologize. It's like, I know I'm not even speaking English at this point. I'm just so excited. I can't put sentences together. <laughs> <laughs> so so um, uh, I just kept, like I said, I kept on showing up. And before I know it, it's about spring training time. And I head off to, to Arizona to, to partake in, in my spring training and go through the process. And the whole time I'm doing this with one eye and less than a year at, removed from what I attempted. And like every once in a while I would sit back and like, just look at, like, think about that. Like, man, this is, what am I doing? Like, this is not supposed to happen. And I was just so, so appreciative of everything that the, the way everything played out. And then 
before I know it, spring training is ending. And I, and I remember having plenty of conversations, mainly with Diana about this whole process. Like, I think I've reached my limit. I think I'm done. Like, I'm going to have to hang them up. Um, I tried my best, but whatever, it's not going to work out. And I kept on pushing through it. And like, at the end of spring training, I was telling Diana, her and I started like looking for jobs because spring training didn't go that great. So I was like, yeah, they gave me the opportunity, but I'm sure this is the end. Like, I don't think I'll make the team. And then a couple of days before spring training ends, they tell me that I made the AAA team. And I had been aware that the AAA team was starting their season in Vegas. And I was just like, once he told me that, I was like, oh my gosh, this is, I, like, I almost like <laughs> feeling worthy. I almost just like feeling worthy. Like, I feel like I don't deserve it, but I was writing it out. And it was, when I say it was the most powerful experience I've ever been through, um, it was, and, that, and I've been through a lot of them, but what, running onto the field in front of all my family, friends, doctors that put me back to get like, I, I I've been fortunate enough to like build relationships with anyone who's taking part in this, this story. And so the entire stadium would just erupted when I ran on the field. And again, my old self would have tried to hide it, but I just completely lost it. And I was just, I was an emotional wreck. I remember asking all my teammates who's cutting onions. Like I just can't stop crying. <laughs> uh, Someone's cutting I, those onions around me right now. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So being able to experience that and then going through being able to like, say I played baseball after a suicide attempt with one eye and then being able to get that first hit in the, the third game and then eventually hitting a home run in front of all those people that the last day in Vegas, um, that was like the pinnacle of my, of my career. And it was something that I'll never forget. And, even when I'm just doing random stuff around the house, every once in a while, I'll be like, "Dang, remember when you hit that home run with one eye?" <laughs> I, just like, I just think, I just think about it all the, I just think about it all the time, and it's something that I'll never let go. Yeah, uh, I mean, and you did it, as you said, you did it in Vegas too, where you're yeah, from. I mean, my goodness, Drew, it is. I mean, it, uh, it, it's a movie. It's 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 you can't, you know. I mean, you can't, you couldn't script it. it it's unbelievable to get even more granular uh, with that moment as you, after you make contact, as you hit that home run, what do you still feel? Uh, Cause you're obviously thinking back to it as you're cleaning up the house. What do you still feel when you think about that trip around the bases on May 11th of 2021? I feel the sensation of those goosebumps that hit me. Uh, as soon as I made contact, it was kind of cool because I didn't, it wasn't a no doubter. So like I had that like buildup of like, Oh, is it happening? Oh, is it happening? And then yes, it happened. So like <laughs> I got to like, have a little bit of a buildup and then that explosion of emotions, like right before I hit first base. Um, and then it was funny. Like I remember very clearly after, after I hit first base, I like had an old thought. I was like, don't like, all right, don't show too much emotion. But then I was like, no, screw that. You <laughs> and then I just like lost it. And I was like, right around, got second base. And I like had a huge smile on my face. I was like wiping away some tears, um, hit first, uh, hit third and gave the coach a high five. And then I did my like routine of where I like look up to the sky and think about my grandparents. And then all the emotions hit me even harder. Cause I like, I just subcon like, I just didn't even think about it, but like I covered my right eye or black of my right eye. And like, just like a sign of what, what what like the moment and then as soon as i hit home play i looked up to where i knew like the the bulk of my family was in the stands and just so happened to be i like locked eyes perfectly with diana and like i saw her emotion and i just like every time i think about that i get those goosebumps but then that that, that really powerful pit in my stomach of just like i need to cry right now <laughs> yeah I, I i i totally get it man i it's uh I'm I'm feeling that in every story you tell, and it is it's a it's amazing, Drew. It's just incredible, and and the the openness you show, and and um, and obviously every step of your journey. But then also now you're having conversations like these, but you're also you're you're in baseball. You know, you're working for the San Francisco Giants as a mental health advocate when the organization approached you about this or when you approached the organization, you know, what does this ideally look like for you and, and what impact are you hoping to make and what imp the impact we know you, you are going to make? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, honestly, I just, I see myself being the bridge between mental health resources and the players. Um, I myself was struggling so much, but I still didn't have the balls to, to reach out for help. Um, so Something that I found just being around the guys again and being back in that environment and promoting like the, the self-care and, and, and talk um, and promoting self-care and talk with everyone was a lot of guys felt 
more comfortable to reach out to our, our team psychologist, um, to the people around them. And once we like realized that was happening, I was also going through some, some bad times again, mentally that I just didn't know if I, if I had what it took to stay in baseball from a mental standpoint. So I was sharing that those thoughts with, with the organization. Like, I just, I don't know if I have it anymore. Like, um, I, I, I'm going down some bad places again. Um, it might be a good idea for me to retire. Um, so, and I, I didn't really ask for anything with the giants. They're just, they're so behind this message and they're so, they believe in me so much and believe in the message that they, they see the importance and they came back with, what if, what if we tr- just transition you to this role where you just keep doing what you're doing and just try to promote, um, self-care and, 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 and mental health. And I was like, let's do it. Um, I, I, like I said, I just kind of see myself being the bridge because I, I have that rare, I, I, I've, I've been in all those players shoes. So like I, they understand that I know what they're going through and then I can promote all this, all these resources that they, they, they have available, but they might not feel as comfortable to do because the stigma around surrounding it. So if I can help break that stigma, if I can help guys feel comfortable, talk about things, if I can just make them feel more confident in, in their well being by being an advocate and being that bridge between our mental skills and mental health team and them, because a lot of times CC, you know, they go on, you, someone comes in uh, to the clubhouse and shares a meeting and like they have a, a lot of these really good um, uh, talking points, but you're just a player like, oh, they don't understand what I'm going through. Like I, I, I it goes one in one year out the other. If I can be that person to like say, guys, I was in your shoes and I know what it feels like. And I also know how, how beneficial this stuff is. Um, if I can just be that bridge to help someone, even if it's just a couple guys, if it's just someone that decides to reach out for help and they realize, dang, that really, that really was beneficial. Um, that's really all it needs to be. And I just see myself as being that bridge and just can keep promoting people to, to address themselves in a more healthy way. No, that's amazing. And, and you're right. I mean, you know, it, it is hard for guys to go to the team psychiatrist. Every team has a mental conditioning guy at this point. When I first came up, they didn't. I got lucky enough when I was in Cleveland that we had a guy that was really good named Charlie Marr. Like, I bought into it right away. I don't. I mean, I don't know for whatever reason. A couple of meetings, I was super young, and whatever he said to me just clicked. So I was always comfortable going, you know, to talk to the mental conditioning coach. The guy that we have in New York, his name's Chad Bowling. He's phenomenal and really turned into, like, my rock there. You know what I mean? It, it, it turned into more than just baseball. It turned into everything while I was struggling. And I could just go in there, close the door, and let them know and talk to them about everything. So, and and I, I thought everybody had that or felt comfortable doing that. But a lot of guys don't. And, and you know, for me, it, it, was always, it was always great to have that sounding board. But if you don't have that through, you're playing 162 games in 180 days, like, it's so hard, man. And even in the minor leagues, it's such a grind. It's so hard. And if you don't have that, and if, and, or if you closed off and you don't feel like you need it and, you, and you're dealing with that internally, man, it, that's hard. It, it just builds up. And, in, and even somebody like me that's super open, I still ended up in rehab because I couldn't deal with, you know, all of that stuff. So it's, it, it, makes it, it makes it tough. But to have somebody like you in an organization that can speak up and be that bridge, like you said, or even just help a guy yourself to talk, to be able right. to go in a locker room and talk to a guy. Uh, I think it's going to be huge. Yeah. I think, I think being that bridge and I've also kind of goofed around and, and labeled myself as a amateur therapist. <laughs> <laughs> now nah, you're like a pro that. bro. <laughs> That's what I've been thinking too. I was like, when I was thinking about retiring before this opportunity arose, I was like, maybe I should just go to, go to college and get my psychology degree and bachelor's and master's and become a LeBron James of therapists. Yeah. <laughs> Seriously, man. Go, Seriously. Go, go do it. Hey, Drew, have you ever connected with Chad Bowling from the Yankees? Uh, no, but I've heard his name plenty of times. Yeah. yeah. Well, we'll have to connect you. Cause he's, he's a fantastic guy. He's, he, as he just talked about, Chad, you know. Chad literally is the, I mean, I mean, he literally got me through 12 years in the Bronx. It's almost impossible to navigate that. And <laughs> Chad helped me do that. <laughs> That's awesome. You know, I wanted to ask you, Drew, cause you talked about, and I thought it was such a great point. You said when people talk about mental health and they're reluctant, they think people want to talk about it 24 hours a day. And it's like, no, we just, you know, you just want to be able to talk about it when it needs to be talked about, right? When when you have to express something. Um, but there are a lot of other things you want to talk about, even if that is, you know, your area of expertise or advocacy or, or whatever it is. So I just want to ask you, Drew, when you're not talking about things involving mental health, 
what's the topic that gets you most excited to talk about? Like, what's the thing you're like, <laughs> I, I would love for them to ask me a question about this. Because C and I, we're... We're super nerds with like Harry Potter, Star Wars. I was like, about to yeah. say, you got you got to yeah. be a Raider fan. The Raiders yeah. are in Vegas now. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. What are you into, Drew? Yeah. Uh, honestly, it's pretty funny because I the first thing that came to mind, I was going to like avoid it because I thought it was so off topic. But once you said Harry Potter, yeah. I, was like, <laughs> yeah. I, was, I felt comfortable. Um, saying that like my thing is friends that the TV show Friends like fantastic. It's amazing, man. I watch Friends on the daily. Um, huge, huge Vegas Golden Knights fan. Um, nice. I still like. I'm really big in, in fitness still, so I work out a bunch. I have a I have my own garage gym that I've been adding to over the years, and it's actually turned into a pretty legit looking setup. I even have a title. One of my alter ego nicknames when I was with the Rangers uh, was Petey, so I named yeah. it Petey's Pump House, and it's, kind of like <laughs> it's taken on it's taken on like a little bit of its own like recognition on social media and stuff. So it's it's pretty fun. And some of my friends come over and they're like, I got some like shirts made. So I like hand them out to those guys. So that's pretty much what I'm up to. And like I said, in the beginning, uh, straight old man mode, I, I take my morning walks, <laughs> all, kinds of, all kinds of meditations and stuff like that. So a little all over the place, honestly, that's what I, that's what I meant by like still trying to find my new routine, but um, definitely obsessed with friends, the golden Knights. I'm, I'm sure I'll be going to a bunch of Raiders games and then also uh, working on the side of, of creating a nonprofit for mental health. So um, a lot of cool things going on that I'm really excited about. Nice. You got to get that golf game right too with the old man. That's the old man. <laughs> you can walk, you can walk the golf course. <laughs> <laughs> for sure. C has perfected the retired golf life already. <laughs> I usually can go to golf for like once or once or twice in a week. And then by that second or third time, I just like get so frustrated with not being able to control the ball. <laughs> oh <laughs> my like, gosh. I, I, need a, uh, I need a month break because uh, I can hit the crap out of it. And it's actually funny. I play right-handed, but I can drive it 300 yards, but it takes me like eight shots to get it from the 300 yard shot into the <laughs> hole. So I'm always like, this through this. <laughs> it's crazy. Everybody I know that's left-handed plays golf right-handed. Like I'm the only person... Like, I play with Brian McCann. I play with uh, Adam Dunn. Everybody uh, plays right-handed. Everybody is crazy. I've noticed that, too. I don't know. I don't know. I know my reason was because when I was younger, I just would just choke up on my dad's clubs. But Yeah. Uh, yeah. I don't, yeah, I've noticed that, too, a lot, actually, that a lot of lefties play righty. Mm. I want, before we get you out of here, Drew, and, and this has been just so wonderful, um, Chris Bryant is now a part of the organization you work for. He tr tr acquired by the Giants, and he's somebody who you grew up playing baseball with in the same, you know, Vegas circles, which you guys just, I mean, your generation of baseball talent. Oh, my God, in Vegas. Ridiculous, man. Ridiculous. ridiculous, you know? So I'm wondering, what can you tell us about Chris the way, you know, you've known him throughout the years and and what you kind of uh, are expecting from him for a Giants team that has already surpassed all expectations this season, but has a real shot here to do something special. Yeah, it was. it's exciting. It was cool to hear. We've definitely run into each other plenty of times throughout the offseason, like throughout our offseason training. He's a little bit more um, one on like to himself with his training. So, but like I said, we've run into each other plenty of times at the fields and stuff. And the couple of conversations we've had is just, you can just tell how genuine of a person he is. So. Um, I was really excited to hear the news and hopefully I'll be able to cross paths with them when I go visit the, the big league team from time to time. Um, but like I said, he's just so genuine and it's kind of cool because like I said, I don't know him that well, but in the short amount of time I've been around him that exudes out of him. So that just shows like how good of a person he is. And it's cool because there's plenty of time, like there's plenty of guys that you come across that the fame and stardom, they get, it gets to them. They, it, it makes them feel like they're a little bit bigger than what they are, a little more important than someone next to them. So the fact that he just like remained the same guy um, and, and is still like is su super like humble and low key. Uh, it's just really cool. And I think that's, I think it's going to fit in perfect with the giants. Cause even though I'd never played in the big leagues with the giants, it just seems like that's the kind of like clubhouse they have. So um, I'm sure he's going to fit in perfectly and his talent speaks for itself. So it's only going to help their, their lineup. It's going to strengthen what they already got going, which is pretty special. Yeah, I love Cap. Cap Cap has a good clubhouse. Play with him in Milwaukee, and I know yeah. he, I know the type of environment that he loves to have. So I know that clubhouse. Yeah, that guy is, 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 is good. That guy's Cap next is the level. Best. He is man. He's a next <laughs> level thinker, bro. He's he's that he's guy, helped me yeah, out so much <laughs> for sure. So so, what's the favorite friend's character? Do you have one? Are you are you Monica, Joey, <laughs> Rachel? Where where do we go with it? 
dude i we like had this conversation yeah i've tried i try to like I, I like try to force myself to have a favorite but every time i think about it i'll like say joey or something i'm like no but then chandler and monica and it's like <laughs> yeah no like I, I literally can't i think the show is so great because the way they all just like interact with each other and they all just have like their quirks that just make them like so funny to me <laughs> did, did you ever see the little uh opening song parody that the giants did of friends a few years ago no i don't think i did you, I'll, have to, right. I'll have to look that up so, some for you to google i know because joe panic is one of my good friends uh from childhood played baseball with him he was with the giants for years and he was he got to do it and like it's like him Crawford they do the whole like dip in the fountain thing it's great oh, it's dang. great yeah, yeah yeah I need to I need to see this I, yeah. I connected with Wilmer Flores a lot last year uh, during spring training because he's known for like friends was what taught him English uh, so like his walk his walkout song is the theme song and I remember hearing that I was <laughs> like great. I was like dude are you a are you a friends fan he goes Oh, I love it. And so we had this huge conversation. I was like, oh, dude, you're my guy. That's, that's, that's Luis Severino. Luis Severino learned how to speak English from friends. Really? Oh, really? Yeah, that's his favorite show. Wow, it's so man. Funny. Oh, that's yeah. awesome. All right, so you got another guy to connect with now, too, over here. Yeah. Yeah. Hey, 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 Drew, thank you so much for, for sharing so much time with us, for your openness, your honesty. Uh, you are a miracle. You're here man. for a reason. There's no question about that. And anything we can ever do to, you know, help you, please don't hesitate. And we'd love to have you back on at Absolutely. some point. You know, even when when C's out, you know, doing his retirement tour, uh, you know, I need a co-host sometimes. Might, yeah, might come, come on and Come co-host. slide you in, you know, yeah. when, I'm, when I'm out and C needs a, a wingman. Thank you for this. And, uh, and I just want to ask you, is there anything in particular, like, that you want people to, you know, know either, like, you know, resources to access or a website, or, you know, you talked about your nonprofit or, or, or just anything. It could just be a generic message, whatever it is that you want to, you want to leave people with or any kind of takeaways. Yeah. I think, I think one thing that I've been realizing that I like to talk about that I don't think I touched on this time was for people that are struggling. Um, a lot of times you hear that phrase, you're not alone, which is great. Um, but I think another key to that, another part of it that a lot of people might struggle with is the feeling of being misunderstood. Um, when they do talk about their thing. So um, for me, like, that's how I felt. Because like I said, who's going to understand that somebody plays professional baseball, made it to the big leagues, lives comfortably, has a supportive family? Who would understand that I'm struggling so bad inside? So for me, I think the message and things that I try to let people know when I have these like more individual conversations is like letting them know how understood you'll feel when you do talk to either professional or someone you trust. And like that feeling of being understood and knowing that the people that you're talking to just want the best for you. Um, it's a really comforting and really powerful feeling. So if anyone is listening, is struggling, don't let the fear of being misunderstood hold you back because there's plenty of people out there that are, that really care about you and are really willing to help uh, make you feel better about yourself. That's great, That's man. Amazing. I love that. Uh, Drew, thank you. Thank you for that incredibly powerful message. And thank you for all this time. And we look forward to talking with you again sometime soon, man. Of course. Like I said, thanks for having me, guys. It was really fun. You got it. Now go binge watch Friends. (laughs) (laughs) You know, see, there's there's so many takeaways from Drew and what he had to say. It's hard to, you know, I mean, we could have talked to Drew for five hours and... It's incredible, man. I just learned so much. You know what I mean? Like, you just, I just learned so much just from that conversation and, you know, having a chance, even just you know, my conversations going forward, little C, you know, about baseball and different things. So, yeah, I mean, I think that was just incredibly powerful for him to be able to to be so open and tell his story to us. And, and I think that there's something really beautiful about this new age of open communication that I think we all are diving into when it comes to mental health. Obviously, Drew's story is, you know, one that's incredibly extreme um and and it's 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 amazing and he's a miracle but there are so many people who even if they don't get to that point are struggling yeah. severely and have always felt like they had to do it on their own and have not felt comfortable to talk about it and now see it feels like we are in an atmosphere where more and more you know people are understanding no it, it is it is normal to feel that way and it is okay to talk about it. And there are people here to help. There are people here to listen. And there are people here who, as Drew said, will understand. 
No doubt. No doubt. I hope you guys all enjoyed that episode and share it uh, with your family and friends because Drew is just, he's an, he's an amazing, amazing young man. And uh, I think it's just incredible the courage he's showing, uh, sharing his message and, and really trying to to bring help to, uh, to this world. Um, we'll be back with another episode on Thursday uh, with Walker Bueller. And you guys know the deal. Follow us on Spotify. Uh, download, rate, review wherever you get your pods. If it's not Spotify, and um, you can follow us on social media as well on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. Have a good one, everybody. So long. <laughs> <laughs>